Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series on careers in the atmospheric and related sciences. I'm Kelly Savoy, and I'm here with Rex Horner, and we'll be your hosts. Our podcast series will give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences. We are excited to introduce today's guest, Carl Schreck, a research scholar with the North Carolina Institute for Climate Studies at North Carolina State University in Asheville. Welcome, Carl. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Great to be here. Carl, could you tell us a little bit about your educational background and what sparked your interest in meteorology? Yeah, so uh, I grew up down in Raleigh, North Carolina. And when I was in high school, Hurricane Fran made landfall uh, near Wilmington and basically went up I-40 into Raleigh. And I just remember seeing the power of the storm and how strong it was. And we lost power for a couple of days and we're out of school for a week. And just the power of that storm really made me want to learn more about hurricanes and meteorology in general. So then when I went to undergraduate, I went to NC State University down in Raleigh and studied meteorology with minors in math, computer programming, and music. And then I decided to go on to grad school, as a lot of folks end up doing. And I was still really interested in hurricanes and tropical meteorology. So I went up to Albany, New York, which ironically is actually a real hotbed of tropical weather, and went up there and did my master's and PhD in atmospheric science, and uh, then went into the field. So what was your first job in the field? So my first job was a postdoc uh, back here in North Carolina, again, uh, here in Asheville. Uh, it's a job that actually ended up turning into a permanent position. Uh, I was really lucky in that regard that... Uh, the uh, North Carolina Institute for Climate Studies was just starting up as a cooperative institute at what was then the National Climate Data Center. So they were just kind of spinning up and it was a chance to be part of this like new organization co-located with a really historic weather center. And you're still working there now? Yep. Yeah, I've been here for, uh, it'll be 10 years this summer. Uh, so I've been really lucky to be in a beautiful part of the country with a job that I really enjoy. How has the job changed since you started 10 years ago? As a postdoc, I was primarily working on projects that other people were bringing to me. As I've been around longer, I've done more writing my own grant proposals and getting to come up with my own research ideas more and more. Sometimes I tell people that in a research environment, the folks with PhDs ask the questions and the folks with masters are the ones that actually do the work and, and tend to answer them. And the, the longer I've been here, the more I've kind of gotten into that asking the questions and maybe not doing as much of the uh, hands-on answering them as I used to. So getting back to your degrees, um, I know there's, you know, obviously a lot of math and science classes that you have to take, but now that you're in your career, um, are there any other courses or skills you'd recommend to students who are just starting out in school who, you know, maybe want to become research meteorologists? Yeah, so I mean, I definitely can't underestimate how important the math and computer programming is. You know, for a lot of folks like me, there were only a handful of extra courses on top of what was required anyway for a meteorology degree to get me a minor in both fields, both math and computer programming. 
if I had to do over again, I might actually double major in one of those just because the skills are so valuable and just lay the groundwork for almost any STEM field these days. But the other thing that since I've been here in Asheville, I've picked up that has been really helpful has been project management skills, because especially as a PhD kind of leading the research efforts, a lot of what I do is organizing projects and managing them, whether it's for myself or for other colleagues that are on a grant that I get. And those project management skills, that's not something that you really get anywhere in a traditional meteorology uh, degree or coursework. So it's been really valuable to be able to pick those up over the years. It's almost something that you can do you know, outside of your degree. I think they have lots of programs where you can get certificates in project management. That's probably, uh, that probably would be really helpful. Exactly. And, and that's how it's come about here is that uh, NCDC or now NCI, the National Centers for Environmental Information, have had uh, course offerings or internal trainings on project management and um, program management and things like that. And yeah, like you say, if you uh, take enough of them, you can get up to a certification. That's probably beyond what I would need, but at least having that like you know base level understanding of it is, is really useful. Are there any other opportunities uh, while you're in school or out of school that you pursued that have been proven to be beneficial over the course of your job in your field? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things when I was in school was the research experiences for undergraduates or REUs. I got to actually do two of them. One during the summer between my sophomore and junior year, which is earlier than I think most folks get into it. And then a second one between my junior and senior year. And those were really valuable both for being able to see whether I liked research and what research was all about, but it also, you know, created, started building my network and it even led to my first publication. Um, so that's just a really valuable opportunity. Any, any type of internship like that um, is, it's really valuable both for experience and understanding what you want to do and also for that network building. What sort of research did you do on these programs? So the first summer I went up to the University of Maryland and worked on analyzing numerical model simulations of hurricanes to try to see you know, how the eye wall was different between a sheared storm and a storm that wasn't sheared. And then the one between my junior and senior year, it was um, at NC State, and it was looking at how climate variability impacts rainfall over East Africa. And that one ended up being, you know, at the time I, I thought I was going to be more interested in hurricanes, but as my career progressed, the more the large scale uh, meteorology like that and climate signals has ended up being a much bigger part of my career. So, it, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but that, that was the project that ended up being probably most useful for my whole career. And you said one of those led to you being part of a publication team for your first paper. Was that a given going into that research experience or did you kind of have to seize a moment or take an extra step to, to join the writing team as part of that REU? Yeah, yeah, it definitely wasn't a given or wasn't a plan going into it. But um, at the end of the summer, for this was the one at NC State, at the end of the summer, we realized that the results were really interesting and valuable. 
and we decided um, that it was worth pursuing and developing it into a full publication. So I was able to continue the REU during the school year while I was working on my coursework and you kind of finalize the figures for the publication. And um, yeah, so it, it was kind of one of those opportunities that, you know, just kind of fell in my lap, but it was, it was really great. So while you're in school, um, did you know right away that you wanted to do research? And did you have an idea of where research meteorologists worked and which sectors hired them? So for our listeners who are maybe just starting school and are really interested in meteorology and possibly doing research, uh, could you give us a little idea of where people would work or where they would get hired if they pursued that? Yeah, so I, I definitely did not go into it expecting to do research. I think like so many people, I went into it expecting to either do the weather service or TV. But as I got a little bit further into my studies, I started to realize the uh, kind of hours that both of those jobs require. You know, weather service is shift work and midnights and weekends and TV. It's also evenings and odd hours as well. And just I didn't I really wanted more of a nine to five position and uh, research lent itself really well to that. And also just, you know, discovering through the REU programs that I really loved it. So you know, it was kind of a surprise to me, but it was you know I'm really glad that it worked out that way. And as far as like where those type of jobs are, they tend to be primarily either at universities or government labs for the most part. And you know, even through grad school, I wasn't so much aware of the government labs because as you're going through grad school, you're at a university working under an advisor who's a professor. And so there's this kind of assumption that you'll probably become a professor as well. And it turns out that that's not really where the most job opportunities are these days. Because if you think about it, a professor will have, you know, perhaps a dozen or more PhDs that they produce over the course of their career. But when they retire, there's only going to be one PhD that replaces them. Right. So it's really hard to get those professor jobs and the you know universities just aren't growing that much anymore. So it, it turns out there's a lot of opportunities in government labs and even more now in the private sector where increasingly uh, a lot of firms in all sorts of fields, including from energy trading to agricultural interests are all really interested in having the latest and greatest research and understanding of what's going on. So I think going forward, that's really where a lot of the job opportunities are going to be are in the private sector and, and not in the kind of traditional fields that we might expect. I was just about to ask what you felt the future of the job market was like, and it sounds you're saying it is it is energy, and it is agriculture, and perhaps some other areas in the private sector that you predict, and maybe you've all, do you have any colleagues that have worked in those, in those sectors and uh, have any experience what new responsibilities are they encountering or what new experiences are they going through in those sectors that you know might be helpful for others to understand? Yeah, so um, that was one of the really big surprises to me at the end of my graduate school time was my, my main research was on the Madden-Julian Oscillation or the MJO, which is kind of the main sub-seasonal signal in the tropics. And I always thought it was a little bit of an academic problem that, you know, certainly your your average TV meteorologist isn't going to know what the MJO is probably. But 
It turns out, as I was finishing up my studies, I was learning that a lot of folks in the energy sector and, and ag sector as well were actually tracking the MJO. And the reason was that the MJO, is, like I said, it's one of the dominant factors in the tropics and the divergent circulations associated with the MJO affect the jet stream and that affects the temperatures here in the U.S. a few weeks later. And those temperature changes can affect natural gas demand. And so that can actually really have an impact on natural gas markets. And so there was this whole chain of information that I was totally unaware of going through my coursework. And so I think that's where a lot of the research is right now, is trying to harness some of the research and and attach it to some of these private sector interests, like especially uh, energy and, and agricultural interests, where in both cases, uh, a lot of traders have access to the model, the numerical model forecast now, but anything that you can do to provide information or value or just a slight bit of skill above and beyond the model forecast uh, can actually be really, really valuable to these traders. So it sounds like, you know, when you enter college and you want a degree in meteorology, there's a whole bunch of different fields and markets that uh, people probably aren't even aware of. But hopefully, um, they're starting to understand that there are jobs outside of the traditional just National Weather Service and broadcast meteorology. It definitely will be helpful for students to to get jobs once they graduate if they have a little bit more of a broader idea of what's out there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of the um, financial firms, you know, hedge funds and so forth are making, you know, probably billions of dollars of trades on, you know, natural gas futures or agricultural futures. And so just, you know, if you can give them a 0.01% edge with some weather information, that can actually be really valuable to them. So as far as your job goes as a researcher at a university, what's your typical day on the job like? So typically, it's either a lot of writing or a lot of programming. And, you know, going into it, I I loved, you know, doing computer programming and making graphics and things like that. And and those are the fun days when I get to really dig down and, and work on the programming. But you know, so much of my job is really just writing and communicating as well, both with collaborators in Asheville, but also elsewhere around the country or around the world, you know, having to write journal articles or different uh, reports on the state of the climate. Um, so really, written communication is, is just so valuable and such a big part of uh, what I do. Uh, it's something that I never really would have thought of going through school. So are there courses for um, technical writing? I mean, when you say you do a lot of writing, is there a specific format that you have to follow as a researcher where it's, you know, certain way to cite things um, and it would be helpful for students to have a technical writing course? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I actually took a technical writing course per se, but I know those do exist and it would be very, very valuable because... Writing is hard enough on its own, and scientific writing is a whole other beast. I can just imagine. Yeah, just learning how to have the right kind of tone and trying to be as precise as possible but not overstate things, it, it, it really is an art form to learn. So would you say the programming is what you like most about your job, or is there some other aspect that you maybe didn't get to in your typical day that is indeed what is the most rewarding part? 
Yeah, the the programming is definitely one of the biggest things. It's it's just really really gratifying when I've got a problem and I'm trying to figure it out and I'm working all day on it and finally I get it to work the way I want it to work. That's a really great moment. The other thing I really, really love is working with collaborators in the private sector and elsewhere to get real world applications of the research. Because I, I, you know, it's fascinating to learn more about the atmosphere and why it works the way it does and even to forecast it. But it's so much more gratifying when we're able to figure out a way that it actually can impact people's lives. And so I really love trying to be kind of the intermediary between the hard science and the end users and trying to kind of translate back and forth between the two sides. So on the flip side, what's the most challenging thing about your job? Probably time management. And and that gets back to the kind of program management we were talking about earlier. But, you know, especially when you're earlier in your career, every project sounds really fun and exciting. And it doesn't take long to realize that you've taken on 20 different projects that you don't have time to actually complete. And so it's really hard learning how to prioritize those and figure out, you know, what are going to be the most valuable projects and the most fun to do. And uh, yeah, just kind of figuring out what to do next and how to manage all the time is, is really hard. Are there any career paths you wish you might have done differently or other alternatives that maybe won't fit in your career but are still enticing or things that you think about from time to time? Or are there directions in the future that you're interested in going that you've been mulling over? Yeah, so I, I think the biggest one is, I mean, I certainly couldn't be happier with the way things worked out I'm in, in a place that I love and uh, in a job that I love. But I think a postdoc is a really unique opportunity, both academically and in life, to like, you're going to go somewhere for just a year or two, maybe three at the most, in most cases. And it's really an opportunity to, A, try a different part of the field, you know, do research that's totally unrelated to anything you've done before. But also, B, it's a chance to go live somewhere you've never lived before for just a couple of years, knowing that it's not permanent. You know, I had a few friends that after they finished grad school in Albany, they went and did their postdocs in Australia, knowing that, hey, you know, it's just going to be a couple of years and then I can go back and live closer to my family again. And so I, I took a little bit of a safer route coming back to North Carolina, but I, you know, certainly I think that's a great opportunity for folks if they can go, you know, try something out for a few years and then you know, then go back to their comfort zone. It's a good insight. So during your career, is there something really exciting that happened to you that you want to talk about? Um, you know, maybe a tr- you traveled somewhere or a certain type of research that you did that you thought, wow, this is, this is awesome. I'm so glad I'm doing this for, for work. Yeah, so I, I think one of the most fun things I got to do was right after I finished grad school when I was a postdoc, I was working with some of the folks at the Climate Prediction Center um, helping to provide forecast support for a field campaign, the uh, Dynamics of the MJO or Dynamo field campaign out over the Indian Ocean. And it certainly would have been even more exciting and fun to actually go there and launch the weather balloons or watch the radars, but still doing the forecast support, like getting to be part of this big field campaign and then going to some of the campaign meetings in Hawaii a couple of years afterwards and just you know meeting a lot of other young scientists that uh, you know had actually been in the field and are you know making those relationships and 
you know, still friends and colleagues with a lot of them today. And it just was a really exciting experience and has turned into a lot of really fun projects down the road. Tell you what, I do have one extra question for you. On a fun note, I'd like to ask what your favorite book might be. Yeah, so my all-time favorite book is The Martian. And I was actually ahead of the game on this. I read, I read it well before it became a movie. And part of why I enjoyed it, I've always been a science fiction fan, but I really enjoyed seeing the science fiction that was a little bit more plausible, you know, no transporters or anything like that from Star Trek. But also I was reading it while I was here in Asheville. And, you know, even though I work for NC State University, we're, we're located at NOAA's National Centers for Environmental Information. So it's a government lab. And it was really fun reading The Martian and seeing like the NASA bureaucracy. And so much of it was so relatable and so realistic. <laughs> so it was, it was fun from both sides of it. That's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Carl, and sharing your work experiences with us. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine.